I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, March 1st. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, education and the legislature. Then the Jackson Police Department's new traffic checkpoint effort faces a class action lawsuit. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Throughout this year's legislative session, we've been keeping an eye on plans for a teacher pay raise. The state Senate and House have both put forth bills that would raise salaries of most, most Mississippi educators by multiple thousands of dollars per year. But right now, the House bill is in the Senate committee and the Senate bill is parked in the House committee. If neither gets out of the committees today, by the deadline, they'll both be dead. Erica Jones is president of the Mississippi Association of Educators, which represents teachers, administrators, and support staff in the state's public schools. She tells MPB's Rob Lane she's closely watching developments. We've had an opportunity to look at both plans. We are very pleased here at MAE that we actually have two plans that are still alive at the legislature as far as it comes with teacher pay. Um, one thing that we do want to note, we have had an opportunity to speak with both the uh, Senate Education Committee as well as the House, and they have given us promising news that we will, in fact, see a teacher pay raise come out of committee. We know that they are in the final stretch of working on that uh, language, and uh, we are trusting that they're going to come out with something that's going to be beneficial to our educators here in Mississippi. Okay. So can you tell us, perhaps go into a little bit more detail about what uh, sort of specific parameters each of these two bills have and whether there are certain things that you hope end up being a part of a final plan? When looking at the two bills, we know that the Senate bill did not include our education support personnel. And when I say education support personnel, I'm talking about our assistant teachers, um, our secretaries, our bus drivers, uh, those individuals who do not obtain a license to teach here in Mississippi. And then when we looked at the House bill, we did notice that it did include support for our 
teacher assistance. So the one thing that we're hoping here at MAE is that both branches will work together to come out with something that's going to be pleasing and also inclusive of our education support personnel. What's the most important thing for a bill to have? Is it is really your emphasis on the bigger paycheck, the better, or are there other auxiliary things that you think are equally or even more important when we think about keeping teachers comfortable and happy and trusting in the system here in the state? So one important thing to remember is that as each year when we have an opportunity to do a teacher pay raise, our surrounding states have already done one or they're in the process of doing one. So competitive pay is essential when we think about the teacher pay raise. Uh, the one thing that we hope our legislator will get right this year is that they come back to us with a substantial amount that's going to be beneficial for our educators. We know our educators have worked really hard over the past two years. Things have been really trying times. Our educators have stuck in it with us. And so now it's time that they receive the pay that they are so deserving of. A couple other bills that I know you highlighted um, in in a comment that you put out earlier, uh, House Bill 591 uh, regarding community schools. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it passed this bill would ensure that we will get community schools throughout Mississippi, uh, especially as you travel across our state. Uh, you see different regions uh, need different things. So one thing to keep in mind, the community schools will be reflective of the community in which they reside. So your community school in North Mississippi may not reflect the same community school on the coast, but both of those schools will have the services that that particular community will need and utilize to make education stronger here in the state. And can you define community school for us? Yes. When we talk about community schools, we're talking about those schools that are uh, residing in a community that includes the wraparound services that we're familiar with, such as our health care, our job uh, placement services, as well as our social and emotional learning needs. Those schools can be found throughout communities, and they are the heartbeat of each community providing the services that are needed. And it sounds like they'd be a particular fit for rural areas or areas that might be under-resourced across multiple service areas? And that's what uh, some of the research that we've had shows us, that especially when you look at our state and our rural areas, they need uh, some supplemental education that other areas may not need. So that's why it's so important that we consider community schools and we provide an opportunity to have them here in our state. Another bill you've highlighted, House Bill 832, has to do with mental health services for instructors and students. What can you tell us about that bill? So, yes, one thing that we know uh, since we've been inside of the pandemic, still going through the pandemic, um, since March 2020, not only have our educators uh, struggled with social and emotional learning, learning as well as mental health, but our students have also It is so important that we use the time now to address those issues so that our educators and our students will receive the support and help that they need. We have been told that uh, throughout the pandemic we've had students and educators to struggle with issues such as the loss of a family member, struggle with the loss of 
an individual in the home losing a job. And we know those are all issues that can impact life. And so as we move on, we need to just continue to find ways to support our educators and our students when it comes to social and emotional learning. To broaden out a little bit, as president of the Mississippi Association of Educators, what do you make of the current state of education here in Mississippi? We just saw research that says Mississippi is no longer um, at the bottom of several different studies, and that is very pleasing to us. One thing that I know for sure is that our educators have done all that they can do over these past two years to make sure that our students are getting the information that they need to be successful. Our educators are working hard. Our students are showing that off on our state tests. Uh, just the other week there was a report out that showed how we had improved in areas of reading when compared to other states in the nation. And that's what we want to do. We want to continue to improve on what we have, and we can do that with the support of not only um, money and areas that are needed, but also the support of the community and our state as a whole. Of course, I think you'd say one of the biggest threats to uh, educational attainment and robust public education in Mississippi is this teacher shortage that we've been dealing with for a long time. Obviously, you believe a substantial pay raise is one part of addressing that. Is there anything else that can be happening in the public or the private sector to help keep teachers here in Mississippi, in your view? One thing that I've heard is I've had an opportunity to travel across our great state. Our educators simply want to be supported. And by supported, I simply mean having the community in which they live to just reach out to see how they can help and offer words of encouragement as well as support inside and outside of the school. For example, when our students leave the building each day, making sure that we have communities that are available to provide additional support to help our students to achieve. Our educators are working really hard. The support is much needed, much appreciated at this time. Erica Jones is president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. More on education after the break. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi reported a high school graduation rate of 88.4% for the 2020-2021 school year. That's the highest in the state's history. The dropout rate was 8.5%, which is an all-time low. But in the midst of the pandemic, that's dramatically affected how schools operate. What do those figures really mean? MPB's Kobe Vance caught up with Education Superintendent Carrie Wright last week. I think the teachers have done an amazing job of keep, keeping children engaged in school. Uh, we've expanded a lot of our offerings uh, over the past few years that are keeping more CTE programs, career academies, advanced placement classes. I mean, all kinds of things, work-based learning we're now moving into. And I think kids are seeing um, the need to stay in school and, and to graduate. And I think we've got a lot of support networks for kids that struggle. Um, our dropout rate has dropped to its lowest. And we've, we're, I think the teachers deserve a real pat on the back for that. Do you think it's 
right to say that Mississippi's graduation rates are reflective of what would be like in a normal year right now? Um, I think not, I would say not as, as reflective because remember last year they were required to take the end of course assessments but they weren't required to pass them so um, that is a little bit of a different thing because of the pandemic but this year they are being required to take them and they are being required to pass them so I think this year is going to be a lot more of what, what you would refer to as a normal year. Also, I know y'all mentioned, or y'all sent out a press release recently about the partnership with um, doctors in the yeah, state to help, you know, schools. Yeah, telehealth and uh, teletherapy. Um, we put out an RFP, and University of Mississippi Medical Center won that RFP, and we are prepared now to expand telehealth and teletherapy throughout the entire state within the next 18 months. So we are very, very excited about that. Opportunities for healthy children, healthy children learn better, opportunities for families, um, and uh, it's just a great way to get help immediately when you need it and uh, through our nursing program. So we're real excited to have them as a partner. How do you see that helping schools across the state? Well, you've got Mississippi doesn't have enough pediatricians across the state, and uh, nor do they have enough mental health therapists across the state. But if you can use a telehealth methodology, then children can get that help that they need um, immediately, uh, and not parents not necessarily having to take off work and being able to you know to meet the needs of, of children right in the nurse's office. So I think it's going to be a huge opportunity for our children to remain healthy. Uh, Last, I was curious if you had a comment on this. There's a bill in the legislature that would limit your paycheck. Do you have a comment? That's up to them. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Uh Still ahead, the Jackson Police Department's new traffic checkpoints face a class action lawsuit. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. One of Jackson's latest initiatives aimed at combating escalating violent crime rates is called Ticket Arrest Toe. It's involved and an increase in roadblock-style traffic checkpoints within the city. But some residents say those checkpoints aren't working as promised. In fact, they say the roadblocks are spotlighting racial inequities and contributing to a culture of fear in the state's capital. A prominent nonprofit organization called Mississippi Center for Justice recently filed a class action lawsuit against the Jackson Police Department and the chief in an effort to end the program. Paluma Wu is with the Center for Justice. Our class action alleges that JPD's practice of deploying checkpoints for general crime control and disproportionately in majority black and low-income areas violates plaintiffs' rights under the Fourth Amendment to be free from unconstitutional searches and seizures. Jackson has been experiencing quite a rise in violent gun crime and deaths. There was an outcry from residents in the community fearing for their lives and wanting something done and demanding that uh, cities, city officials, especially police, do something. As a result, the police department set up these roadblocks to catch offenders and also uh, to stop people who didn't have their insurance or license. What's wrong with that? I I live in Jackson. We understand, and all of the people that are involved in the lawsuit understand that um, addressing crime is, um, A, an absolute must. 
the issue with the roadblocks is that um, the city of Jackson has baked into their response to crime the exact things that generate crime. So the things that generate crime we know empirically you know, are, you know, the inability to meet one's own or one's economic needs, shame, isolation, stress, and exposure to violence. So except for the last of those, all of those prongs are baked into this roadblock policy. And the roadblock policy is also empirically, it's ineffective at actually addressing violent crime. The amount of resources that you have to put in to do roadblocks and how broad and sweeping they are. The United States Supreme Court, which is not overly friendly to you know, people just not wanting to be inconvenienced. The United States Supreme Court has said very clearly we cannot use checkpoints as a means of crime control because then for any reason, if you would happen to be in a high crime area, your right against unreasonable searches and seizures would all of a sudden be lower depending on where you are. And that the United States Supreme Court in the, in the Constitution says your right to be free from unconstitutional searches and seizures should not hinge on the zip code that you're in or born into. So they can use roadblocks for certain things in certain ways, but they can't disproportionately place them in low-income and majority black areas just because they say there's more crime there. Um, because that would, I think, I don't think anybody wants to live in a place where their home can get walked into and searched anytime the police want just because it's a high crime area. Or somebody can get flagged down and have their car searched just because it's a high crime area. Then we would be living more in like a war zone um, or an occupied territory, which is more what it's like when people say you have fewer rights because you're in a high crime area. Um, Roadblocks are ineffective at fighting crime, and not just are they ineffective. The city of Jackson is baking into their response to violence exactly the things that generate violence. So it's not just neutral and ineffective, which it absolutely is. It actually increases the amount of economic instability and the inability to meet one's own economic needs, increases the shame, isolation, stress, all the kinds of things that um, actually create conditions um, for more violence. So it's not a neutral thing, you know, going after misdemeanors with sort of draftonian intensity um, takes away resources from actually solving violent crime and addressing violent crime. And that's not our opinion. Th those are studies that, you know, have widely been done by people who are much better than we as lawyers are at issues of, of crime control because we're not we're not police officers but the largest meta-analysis ever conducted of the effectiveness at incarceration as a deterrent was published a couple of months ago and it was very clear incarceration isn't a way to solve crime it certainly isn't a way to solve violent crime because it is more likely to increase your chances of going back to prison once you're in jail or going back to jail once you're in jail. So putting somebody in jail makes them more likely to commit crimes in the future. So why are we lining people up and putting them in jail when we're, A, not finding criminals effectively, or, B, making it more likely that, that these communities that are being, um, you know, exposed to, like, these higher rates of arrest for misdemeanor crimes, we're making it more likely that those individuals will be back in jail. You are baking into your response to violence exactly the things that generate violence. There have so been neutral, some cases that police have been able to arrest people that they were looking for with these roadblocks. There are residents who are willing to give up some of their rights in order to feel like something is being done that makes them feel safer. It's like COVID. Some people don't mind wearing a mask and social distancing if it means 
that the community at large feels safer. Yeah, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. I, I do think that there's a lot of pressure on the city to address violent crime. Unfortunately, I think what they've chosen is to look busy. And certainly the, the very flashy show voting on these tap vote blocks makes them look pretty busy. Unfortunately, the data shows it doesn't look like they're solving crime. And you certainly can find people who are walking around with of outstanding felony warrants by searching everybody's home in each one of those streets in every neighborhood, including their own, if they'd be willing to do that. However, outstanding warrants include somebody's arrest um, um, location and also their address on them. So they could also just go to those people's homes that they're looking for specifically. And so we, we believe that while certainly Jackson is being pressured to look busy, instead of looking effective, this just it's both ineffective. It's baking into their response to violence exactly the things that generate violence. So it's not just ineffective, it's counterproductive. And it happens also to be unconstitutional, and that's why we're challenging it. But to be totally clear, the unconstitutionality is the reason why we can bring it into court, but it is actually counterproductive. And that's why the community came to us and asked us to do something about it. What outcome are they looking for? What What is the result that you want from this lawsuit? Um, the plaintiffs are seeking injunctive relief so that the um, police can no longer use roadblocks for the unconstitutional purpose of general crime control. And they're looking for injunctive relief that the JPD no longer disproportionately place roadblocks in majority black and low-income locations. Um, and um, they they also would would like there to be a, the, the you know the ability to monitor that um, in an ongoing way, and um, they also have you know they very much just personally want you know JPD to actually have meaningful dialogue with them about how much money do you have to spend on fighting crime and what how it how could it be best spent. And I think a lot of the plaintiffs you know they have ideas. Those are things that should, ought to be listened to. And I don't think anybody sitting in a roadblock line in these communities, if, in the words of one of our plaintiffs. Roadblocks have never made me feel safer. All righty, madam. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Frazier. Thank you so much for everything you do. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's in legal terms. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Have a good day.